I guess I want to ask you a question here this morning as we get started. And that question is this. If, if you heard God speak to you, what would you do? If you heard God say something to you today, what would you do? God is continually speaking. He continually draws us and calls us and works within us. And I want to just have you think that way because I believe that God is speaking even now. And, and I hope that as you hear him speak that you will be responsive to what he says in your heart and mind. The last couple of weeks uh, we began a series, a little mini-series called uh, about a personal Pentecost. It, it came out of my concern that we might unintentionally miss something that was so very vital to Jesus and the early disciples. You remember that Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 49. He told them, what is this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed or preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send to you what my father has promised But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus was telling his disciples that in order for them to be successful in accomplishing his mission in and through them, they were going to need the power of the Holy Spirit at work within their lives. It was so important that Jesus said to them, don't do anything else until you've experienced this. Don't do anything else until the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then we read in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, about the account of the Spirit's coming. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as God gave them, enabled them. This promise had come and it was just what they needed. It was just what Jesus had promised them. This empowering of the Holy Spirit was something that changed them. It helped them to see themselves and the world around them in a very different way. Now, I honestly don't think we're ever going to miss Pentecost. We're just not going to miss that. It's on the calendar. We're we're going to keep celebrating it. But the question is, is it in our hearts and in our experience with Jesus? Is it something that is as important for us today As it was for the early disciples. I mean, these disciples were people who had walked with Jesus. These disciples had seen Jesus perform the miracles, had seen Jesus walk on the water, had seen Jesus do all the things they did, had heard him teach week after week, day after day, had seen and heard all of those things. And to these people, I mean, they didn't have any doubts. They didn't have to read this and say, well, is that really true? Or somebody just write that stuff. These were the people that had seen all of that stuff. And to those people, 
Jesus asked the question, told them, don't do anything until you have received the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't do anything else. And I just wonder if it was so important for the early disciples to experience the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through them. Can it be any less important for us? Are we that much better? I don't know. What would our lives look like if every minute of every day we were just experiencing and living in the power of the Holy Spirit? Would some of the stuff that we deal with I mean, the stuff that just happens day in, day out, all that stuff. Would any of that change? Would any of the ways that I experience those things change if I was so overwhelmed with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in my life? What would be different? Two weeks ago, I shared with you that the Holy Spirit very much is needed in our lives. And that the place where this begins, I believe, is with hunger. I don't think we come to this experience of the Holy Spirit in our lives without this sense of hunger and passion and thirsting and yearning for the things of God. We just don't get there. Hunger is a good thing. Hunger. Healthy people get hungry. You know that. Sick people lose their appetite. Healthy people have a hunger. And and my prayer then and now is that we would always be hungry for more of Jesus. That that we would always have a sense of wanting more and experiencing more with him. That, That the power of the Holy Spirit would be ever at work within us. Hunger is a good thing. We used to jokingly say in the Church of the Nazarene. That we believe in three experiences. You understand this? Three experiences within the church of the Nazarene. We are saved. We're sanctified. And we are. Petrified. Okay. So you better, you've been around the church long enough to know that. You know, it, it's, it's kind of a joke, but, but. But sometimes it's almost like that. Somehow, sometimes we get in this place where we have this experience with Jesus and and we have this experience. We really do believe in entire sanctification. We really do believe in the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And somehow or another we say, oh, yeah, I I had that wonderful experience ago, 40 years ago. And man, it's been the same ever since. I want to say I've been the same ever since. And I don't know if I keep on doing it if it was the same ever since. There is something about this continual yearning and hungering for the things of God that's healthy in us. This continual sense of God, I need you. And I think unless we live in that place where we are hungry and thirsting for the things of God, we are not going to go very far with the things of God. We will become satisfied or apathetic or distracted by other things. This filling and empowering life in the Holy Spirit begins with hunger. But it doesn't stop at hunger. 
I think today I want to talk to you about the thing that I think really follows that concept. And, and what follows that concept, I believe, is this idea of surrender. We, we have to come to a place of surrender. And sometimes surrender is such a hard thing for us because we think about surrender like I've lost, like I've been beaten and I've surrendered something. But when we think about surrendering to God, it is this intentional choice. To allow God to have everything that I am. Absolutely everything. It is the intentionality of my mind and of my heart that says, I no longer belong to me. I am not my own. Everything that I am belongs to him. My heart is his. My mind is his. My hopes and dreams are his. My fears and my failures are his. My family is his. My job is his. My, my everything that I am is his. That's surrender. Jesus said it this way in Luke 9, 23. Re- read this with me if you would. Read this out loud with me. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. There is something that is at the very core of Jesus' teaching that has this idea of surrender, this idea of, of dying to self, this idea of that I am no longer my own, but God is my all in all. Somehow or another, we have to, we have to come to this place where our lives, our hopes, our dreams, our passions, we've just been talking about, are much more focused on the things of God and His desires and His wishes than they are on ourselves. When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, He is not calling them to all, everybody go out and find a cross and carry it as a symbol of piety in their lives. Here's my cross, aren't I pious? And He's not talking about your mother-in-law. Although it may feel like it sometimes. And he's not even talking about a bad job situation or a difficult, stressful decision you're trying to make. He's talking about a willingness to physically die. We don't face that very much here. But a willingness to say, would you die for me? Would you die to yourself for me? That's something that takes intentionality and that's something that has to happen not just once, but daily. We have to daily, we have to wake up daily and say, God, everything that I am is yours. Everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything, it is yours, God. Every day. The Apostle Paul says it in another way. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. 
Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is an amazing passage of Scripture. Just look at that first little phrase. I urge you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy. It's full of good stuff. Paul is writing to people who were believers. These are brothers and sisters in the Lord. These are not people who had no clue about what, who Jesus was or anything. He is writing to people who understood what it is to have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. These are people who knew God's grace and mercy, who believed in that grace and mercy. And he's saying to them, Here's something you need to be thinking about. He's saying to these people, he, in view of God's mercy, he's saying, you know, Romans, this whole thing, he's just been writing chapter after chapter after chapter. And Paul is writing to the Romans and he's reminding them of God's great mercy for them. He's reminding them that, that God is working all things together for their good. He's reminding them that nothing can separate them from the love of God. He's reminded them them that it's faith. It's just faith in God's grace. God is for you. He's not against you. God is on your side. Over and over, he's writing this and writing this. And he comes to chapter 12 and he says to them, because of all that, because this is who God is, because you have placed your faith in this God, Therefore, present your bodies as living sacrifices. And he says to them, this is your service of worship. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do you want to know what worship is? I usually define worship as this. Expressing my love to God. That's my really simple definition of worship. Just expressing my love to God. But you know it's really is bigger than that? You see, our worship is not when we sing some songs, right? You understand that? That's not worship. You understand my reading scripture is not worship. You understand our prayers that we say is not worship. All, none of that stuff is really worship. What is worship is God's people coming to that place where they say, God, everything that I am is yours. Everything. Everything. Take it. God, it, it is yours. I give it all to you. That is worship. Because you see, if, we're, if we don't do that in worship, then when we sing songs, we're just singing songs. It's nice. I mean, it's good. I like to sing. I'm a musical person. I love to sing. I love it. It's good. I love God's word. I love reading. I love hearing it, but it's not worship. There's somehow when we come to the offering, you know why the offering is sometimes so hard? Because we don't see it as worship, as an expression of our worship. But in worship, when we have given everything that we are to him. And, you know, I'm using the big everything here. Well, guess what that includes? 
That includes our resources. Then giving becomes part of that reflection of the fact that I have given everything to you, God, already. Because that is my worship. These are just expressions. I sing, I read, I give, I pray. Those are expressions of my worship, but my worship is truly just a, everything that I am, God, is yours. He says, do not conform any longer to the old pattern of the world. This offering that we do is an offering that says, here I am, God, and God, I don't want to be the way I used to be. I don't want to continue on the old patterns. I don't want to live the way I used to live. I don't want to do the things I used to do. I don't want to think the way I used to think. I don't want to be in the places I used to be. God, I want to be something different with you. This is my service and worship to you. It is everything I am given over to you. And God, by your grace, I'm not going to keep going down those old trails. And then this amazing thing begins to happen. God promises that he would transform us. Transform our minds. Transform the way we think. Transform what we're about. Transform our awareness of who he is. Transform the way we think about circumstances and people and relationships and all of that stuff. God begins to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to transform who we are. That's what we're going to talk about next week. But today, it starts with surrender. It's hungry hearts surrendering all that they are to God. That's the business. That's not easy to do. Y'all get that? That's not easy to do. It's not easy to do because of us. You, you understand? We're the problem in all that. It, it, we, we, we tend to, there, there are a couple of things that when we say surrender that, that we need to be thinking about when we get into this surrender mode. But it's the very thing that we need to surrender, which is the very thing that holds us back from surrendering. I, I think one of the things that hold us back so much is this idea of control. Anybody like to be in control? Yeah, most of us like to be in control. We, we, we think of, we, we, we hear the word surrender and we start thinking, well, God, if I really surrender, what would you next be asking me to do? God, if I really surrender everything that I am, what would you say then? What would happen then? What would life look like then? And, and, and you know, God, I, I like this idea, but I'd really like to know not just this step, but I'd like to know the five, six, seven, eight steps out beyond. Yeah? Yeah? 
We say things like, God, I'd give you everything. I'd surrender everything to you, God. But, just don't ask me to go to Africa. That's what we used to say. I'd do anything, just don't call me to preach or be a missionary, right? I would give you everything that I am, God. I'd surrender it all. But I just can't stop doing this. I'd give you everything that I am, but a little one closer to home. Don't ask me to forgive that person. They've hurt me too deeply. I'd give you everything that I am, but this little thing in my life. And, and we, we have trouble with those things. And we're not alone. Think about the disciples. I, I, you know, think about the disciples and, and some amazing moments with the disciples. Jesus is, Jesus is walking among them and they're talking and, and, and they're going along. They're doing ministry. They're healing people. They're preaching. They're, they're, they're doing all the stuff that Jesus did. It, it's some amazing kinds of stuff. But you know, not everybody liked these people. Not everybody liked Jesus. Not everybody liked the disciples. And one day they had a particularly rough experience. And the disciples came up with a really good thing. Anybody ever want to fix something? I just want to fix it. I can fix that situation. And so the disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, I've got a good idea. Let's just call down fire on these people. Anybody ever want to call down fire on anybody? Oh, yeah. Let's just call down fire. I can take care of this. We'll fix it. Yeah. We have a tendency to do that. I can fix something. Sometimes, this is a really amazing thing. Sometimes we have the most amazing spiritual moments. Have you ever had an amazing spiritual moment and then done something really stupid afterwards? I'm sorry. I use the S word again. Have you ever, have you ever had that? Think about the disciples. Peter, James, and John's. They're walking up with Jesus. They've gone up to the top of the mountain. They had this great season of prayer. They've seen the transfiguration of Jesus. I mean, they have seen Jesus in all of his glory. I mean, all the prophets. I mean, they've just seen stuff. And then they get this really brilliant idea. We can make it better. Why don't we just build some tabernacles here in honor of all these people? Could you imagine? I, I think sometimes Jesus is saying, really? Isn't it enough just to be here? <laughs> just, you don't have to do anything. Just be in the moment. <laughs> You've just seen me in all my glory. I want to make it better. I can fix it. I can make it better. I can do all this stuff. And sometimes it's our, our need for control. I, I've got to be in charge and I'm fearful. I don't know what the future is going to hold if I really give you everything. Or I, I, I want to be that guy that can make it better and fix it. I can, you know, I can, ugh, you know we, we kind of go on and on and on and we have a trouble just letting it go and letting God work. Just being in the presence of God. 
And so surrender becomes a very difficult thing. Sometimes surrender is a very difficult thing, almost for the flip side opposite of that. We have trouble surrendering because we think about all of our failures. And we think, why would God want somebody like me? And again, I'm not talking about a salvation issue here, folks. This is not heaven or hell I'm talking about. This is that sense of God would want to really do something with me, in me. And we think about how we've failed him. We think about the things that we've done or the things that we've said or the places that we've gone, the experiences that we've had. And we say, how could God want to work in someone such as I? But then I also remember the story of Peter and Jesus restoring him after he had denied Christ. That that God doesn't give up on us because we've failed. And yet sometimes we hold ourselves back from experiencing this ongoing powerful presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives because we think we have failed so miserably. It's control. Do you remember my illustration a few years back? I had bought in that tandem bicycle. Remember that? And I talked about this tandem bicycle is like our experience that... We, we're sitting in the front seat and Jesus is sitting in the back seat. We know Jesus. He's our Savior. And we're driving along and, and Jesus is whispering in our ear. He's, he says, uh, why, don't, why don't you turn right? And, and we turn right. And why don't you turn left? And we kind of whisper back, yeah, but Jesus, I'd really like to go straight. So we just keep on going straight. And he says, oh, okay, you can do that. Make a U-turn up here. Okay, maybe, maybe not. And we live in this life with him while we're driving. He's with us. We're not separated from him. He's with us. But we're in control. We're in control. This is Paul writing to believers. Writing to believers. But there comes a place when you surrender that control and you say, I'm going to go to the back seat. And Jesus says, this is where I'm going. And we say, I'm with you, Jesus. I'm with you. Wherever you want to go, I'm going to go. And we live a very different kind of life because we have surrendered control. It's control, our failures and our fears that hold us back. But the call to us is to present our bodies as living sacrifices. An altar. Well, a communion table, okay. And sometimes we approach these things and we say, Oh yeah, God, I'm with you. I'm I'm up there. I've got my hand firmly placed. I'm all in. 
kind of. And yet what we're called to is that total, I'm all in. And if we're going to go very far with God, if we are going to allow him to transform who we are, the, the second half of that Romans 12, 1 and 2 passage, if we're really going to allow the power of the Holy Spirit to transform who we are and what we are, how we think and how we live, all that stuff, just leaning on the altar won't cut it. You won't get there. We're invited we are called to total surrender. Everything I am. The best of me, the worst of me. My hopes and my dreams, my fears and my failures. The stuff I get and the stuff I don't get. Everything. All the brokenness of our hearts. All that stuff. He says, just let me have it. Live in that place. I, I, don't, I don't know what God is speaking to you about, but I know that he is. You know, sometimes we, we talk about surrender like something once and done. But, but this whole relationship with God is a very dynamic kind of thing. Where we are continually surrendering what we know to surrender. That's why it's not saved, sanctified, and petrified. Is because God is continually pointing out the things that he wants us to surrender to him. So that he can then come and fill it. So my question to you today is this. What is it that God is talking to you about that you need to surrender? Not, not the generic, okay, God, everything I am. But the very specific, God, I hear you speak to me about this. And this I surrender to you. It is our spiritual act of worship. When we surrender, it be a hurt. It'd be a broken spot in our lives. It'd be control over something. Whatever it is. Will you let him have that? I don't have any fancy way for you to respond to that. I'm going to pray. My hope is that whatever he's talking to you about, you just say, God, here it is. By your grace and mercy, I'm letting go. You take that thing. Or God, help me to let you take it. That's kind of probably the first place it starts. <laughs> you may not be ready to let go of it. But it starts by just acknowledging that he's asking you to let go of it. And let it go. Father, into your hands do we give all that we are. Our hearts yearn for you. And in that yearning, 
comes an invitation. An invitation to let go and let God, as the saying goes. An invitation to surrender. Lord, would you speak? For your people are listening. Lord, I surrender to you my fear. I surrender to you an unknown future. I surrender to you a wife. I surrender to you my dreams. Lord, would you hear our prayers this morning? As we place on your altar those things that you have called us to surrender. Receive it as our act of worship. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.